Thy word have I hid deep down in my heart that I might not sin against thee, my God. Casey, you want to close the door? Open up mine eyes. Casey, you want to open the door? Close. That I may behold great things in thy law, so shall I keep it continually. Thy word is a lamp, a light to my path. The law of thy mouth is better than gold. Oh, I love thy law. It's my meditation. I delight myself in thy statutes, O Lord, and rejoice in thy way. Okay, I'm going to ask if we have a volunteer. If somebody would pray for us, that the Lord would bless us, lead us, especially as we now open the Word and look at a very, very important issue, the example of, that Jesus will share, uh, we'll see from the life of Jesus. So who would pray for us here? Volunteer. Anybody? Two hands went up. Okay, so we'll have after lunch. Who would like to pray now? Who would pray after lunch? You'll pray now? Would you pray after lunch for us? Thank you. Thank you for that. <clears throat> We're here because we want to do your will. You're absolutely right. I'm glad for your prayer. Appreciate it much. Uh, incidentally, as we hand out the sheet uh, for you to write your names on, thank you so much for the legibility of your first sheet. I saw that. Pass this around. We'll write your names on there legibly. And uh, if you need a pen, one more person. That one person did return a pen. I still got a free pen here. As that uh, sheet goes around. Um, uh, it's interesting, by the way. Uh, Eileen, are you going to be here to keep time for me? Okay. Um, I, I saw this one day. I love this one. It says, don't bother me. And at the bottom, I'm looking for a verse of scripture to back up one of my preconceived notions. <laughs> now that describes us, doesn't it? I'm including myself. I know that's the danger I face. Uh, I tell people when people correct me, and I've had a few kind Christians, some not so kind, but kind ones who've corrected me, and I've thanked them for it, and then I've added, I hate correction, but I love it. You know why? Because if you correct me, then I can grow and I can live better for God's glory. And so, but uh, how many of you love correction? I don't see many hands. Yeah, but you know what I mean. We don't like to be corrected, but yet it's a wonderful thing to be corrected. Incidentally, as we talk about correcting, I, I came across this story one day. I've tweaked it a little bit, and as you pass it around, we're, we're going to talk about getting into the Bibles, and you'll understand why I'm sharing this story to start with. A husband and wife, somebody sent this to me by email, by the way. A husband and wife couple from cold Minneapolis decided to go to Florida to thaw out during one particularly icy winter. They planned to stay at the very same hotel where they had spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. From Minnesota, going down where? Florida. Florida. 
nice winter, warm winter. Because of hectic schedules, it was difficult to coordinate their travel schedules. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday, while his wife planned to fly down the following day, that is Friday. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room. So he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address. And without realizing his error, he sent the email. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, Texas, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. He was a minister of many years who had died following a sudden heart attack. The widow decided to check her email. Now, by the way, they were Protestants, not Seventh-day Adventists, expecting messages from relatives and friends. After reading the first message, she fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room and found his mother on the floor and saw the computer screen which read, To my loving wife, Subject, I've arrived. <laughs> Date, 16th of May, 2002. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now. And you are allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> Florida, Florida, remember? Florida, okay, yes. But with the reason I share that story, as a Seventh-day Adventist, you would not faint, am I right? You wouldn't faint. You would just know, this is weird. Somebody must have sent the email to the wrong person. I, I know you wouldn't faint, because why? You know your Bible. That's the point. If you don't know your Bible, beware. <laughs> okay, sure is hot down here. Anyway, I always thought that was such an incredible story that somebody sent to me. And uh, I share that with you because, you see, there is so much confusion out there about what the Bible teaches, about all kinds of things. And what's sad, folks, is that even amongst us as Seventh-day Adventists nowadays, there's confusion. It's weird. And especially in this area of making decisions. Uh, there are a few seats if you both want to come in. Okay, there are a couple chairs right here. Come right in. Even soft ones, there's a soft one and a not so soft one here. <laughs> okay, so come right on in. Wait a second. And nowadays there's so much confusion about what's right. For example, listen to these words. Listen to these words. What matters is doing the right thing. What matters is standing up on principle. And we as Seventh Avenue say what? When we hear that, what would we say? Amen. Amen. Guess what? Guess who's speaking? This happens to be the mayor of San Francisco, Gavin Newsom. What is he talking about? When he, a few years ago, opened City Hall and, ha and married 3,200 same-sex couples. And these are his words. What matters is doing the right thing. What matters is standing up on principle. 
Ah, interesting. You've got to be careful and say, what do you mean by that? You've got to ask people what they mean. Nowadays, there is so much confusion in the world. And so we have to go back to the scriptures. Uh, now, unfortunately, again, I, I just, it just struck me. We need more of these. Um, could I ask? Uh, Hannah's not here. Who knows how to use, make, use copy, the copy machine upstairs? Rena, could you use that for me? And make another 40 for me of that sheet, please. And uh, I'll make sure you won't miss anything substantial here. So uh, I should have made more copies. I was talking with the gentleman who is uh, recording this material here. Uh, he asked some very interesting, difficult questions. But he wasn't here for our first session. And so uh, if you're not here for the first session, it's hard for you to know where we're going. Second session, uh, we're going to deal with that. Did you know, by the way, as Rena's gone, uh, there's been a huge debate on Bibles. And you're aware of that, right? And so uh, while she's gone, this is not crucial for our whole study. But I am right, right now reading uh, these issues. And um, uh, I've been asked, by the way, to write a book on Bible translations. And so I'm ordering books. I've got, I ordered about 20 books. I'm busy reading on Bible translations. I, I've just read this book called The Essential Guide to Bible Versions. Read it cover to cover and uh, fascinating, interesting. And then I found another book called One, Bible, One Book Stands Alone. This book promotes using modern translations, not the King James. This book is a very subtle, strong attack on the King James Version. This book is a not so subtle, strong defense of the King James Version going so overboard that they maintain that the King James English translation, English, is the inspired word of God. And the Greek is wrong. The original language is not. It's the English that is inspired. And I'm not exaggerating. You want to come in the break? I can show it to you. It's the English language. That, this is the inspired Bible, the English translation. So people are on all kinds of spectrums. And by the way, there's hardly anybody in the middle with some kind of a non-passionate, balanced view. Surprising. I am shocked at the strong language and the, and the extremism on both sides. I just got this one this week, textual criticism of the Bible. So I'm right now in the middle of reading, studying, digging as deep as I can on this whole issue of Bible translations because I was asked to write a book on Bible translations. Fascinating study, and I've had different views myself. Now I'm digging deeper and deeper. And so my recommendation to you for a study Bible is the New King James Version. I don't have time to go into all the ins and outs, but over about 20 years I've been digging into this issue, and uh, this is the one I would recommend as the best study Bible. And uh, if there was time, I could tell you, but I've spent time with pastors and others on, on phone and so forth on this issue, and when I talk with them and I share some of the stuff, even the pastors are surprised. Pastors, Adventist pastors don't even understand the issues that are involved. Okay, it's, it's very crucial. So in a nutshell, this is the one I would highly recommend as a study Bible. Hence, that's the one I use. And we are called upon to be serious students of the Bible. I know there are some people that say, oh, no, pastor, uh, professor, whichever role I'm in. They say, you know, the Bible is so simple, anybody can understand it. The, the truths of Scripture are plain enough for everybody to understand. And they say, Ellen White says it. She doesn't say that. She says, the great truths of Scripture for the important ones for salvation are clear enough to be understood. But then she says, and I'm quoting now, Steps to Christ, page 90, some portions of Scripture, she says, are indeed too plain to be misunderstood. But, she says, there are others whose meaning does not lie on the surface to be seen at a glance. That's what she says. 
Some of the Bible is difficult. She continues, Scripture must be compared with Scripture. Now, one more sentence, page 91. Thank you, Rena. Page 91, listen to this. There must be careful research. What does Ellen White say? Careful research and, that's not all, careful research and prayerful reflection. Did you hear those two words? Prayerful reflection. Ellen White says if you understand the Bible, you must have what? Two things. Careful research and what? Prayerful reflection. Okay. And such study will be richly repaid as the miner digs, discovers veins of precious metal concealed beneath the surface of the earth, so he who perseveringly searches the Word of God as for hid treasure will find the truths of the greatest value. There must be careful research and prayerful reflection. So, gentlemen, if you can help me here again, I'm going to pass these out. Okay, Casey, Cody, give one to each person as quickly as you can. Uh, Cody, uh, Cody, if you can go this side, give them out very fast and keep that uh, uh, sign up or careful handwritten sheet moving because I want to just share with you a few statements from Great Controversy, GC. This is from chapter 37 as you hand it out and you can take the sheet home with you. GC 37. I want to focus on just half a dozen of these statements. You can read the whole thing at home. but. Uh, uh, we want to look at them, and if you want to mark them off, these are the ones that I consider pretty important for us, and then we'll get into the Word of God right away. Okay. Everybody have a copy? All right. Any extra copies, please give them back to me, because sometimes I find people who would like to get a copy. All right. Thanks, gentlemen, Cody, Casey. There are three and four more back there. If you can get them to those folk, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. And I don't mind if somebody takes one extra copy. This is, uh, that's okay. You know, if you need to take it for somebody else, that's fine. Okay, L go with me now through a few important statements I'd like to highlight. Uh, starting at the top paragraph. Notice Ellen White's statement coming directly from the Bible. Read it with me. Let's read together. Ready? To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. It's well known. This is Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. And then she says, the people of God are directed to where? To the scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive powers of the spirit of darkness. That story at the beginning... Uh, P.S. It's terribly hot down here. You know, this is, of course, part of that. The devil's uh, attempts to uh, delude people. And um, so be careful. Skip down to the next paragraph. It's underlined. Read with me the underlined portions in the same paragraph. Same paragraph, the underlined portion. Ready? So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. I'm going to give you an illustration of that. Because you see, I'm finding out nowadays that there are people who are all fascinated by all kinds of fads and all kinds of movements. And they read, read this and they read that and they want to understand all these, uh, the best word is conspiracy theorists. And the buffs who are always trying to figure things out. But, but you see, the problem is, don't waste your time with that. They say when they teach uh, people at the bank to recognize the $20 bill, which is the most counterfeited one, I've been told, what do they do? They teach them to know the genuine. 
So much so that the moment a counterfeit arrives, instinctively, instantly, you will recognize the counterfeit. In other words, don't waste your time on different counterfeits. If you do, they will come up with another counterfeit that you won't recognize. If you spend your time with a genuine till you know it backwards and forwards, upside down, in the light, in the dark even, <laughs> you can recognize the counterfeit immediately. Why am I telling you that? Because this is the point Ellen White is making. It is the only, if you know, it will be impossible to distinguish between the counterfeit and the true unless you know the what? The scriptures. The scriptures. So I want to challenge you very seriously. Spend your time in the Bible. Very, very sad story. One of my relatives in South Africa, a godly woman, I, I had a great respect for her. I preached there when, uh, at, at her little church uh, maybe 10 years ago. She might have been in her 70s. And I preached at the end of the year, it was December or so, and the challenge I said to everybody, I'm going to hand out to you today a Bible reading schedule so you can uh, read the Bible through this year. Take it. I took it as, I gave it to them as a challenge. I was shocked later on to find out that this godly woman only the year when the year was over, she turned to me. She said, Ron, thank you for that Bible reading plan. For the first time in my life, I read the Bible through. The first time I had such high regard for this lady, she'd never read God's love letter. She'd read pieces of it, portions of it, sections of it. She'd never read it cover to cover. And I am surprised how many Seventh-day Adventists have never read the love letter? Now, of course, you know, I'm, that's why I'm not asking the question. How many of you have not? There'll be pride in our hands. Be careful. Uh, how many of you haven't? There'll be guilt in our hearts if we don't raise our hands. But my challenge to you is simply this. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in the Word of God. Okay? And let's, so otherwise we will be uh, deceived. Let's go down now to uh, the next paragraph. Let's only read the underlined. Ready? God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. Go down to the underlined uh, section of that same paragraph. Ready? Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, thus saith the Lord, in its support. Wow. Wow. Very important. Thus saith the Lord. Now, the very next paragraph is in the middle of this sheet, and it is in italics. And so right now, I'm going to be stepping on my own toes. Do you know it's pretty hard to do that? But we can do that. So I'm going to do it. I'm stepping my own toes because of this statement. Let's read. Satan is constantly endeavoring to attract attention to man in the place of God. He leads people to look to bishops, to pastors, that's, in, that's me, to professors of theology, yes, I'm that too, as their guides, instead of searching the scriptures to learn their duty for themselves. Ah, oh, wait a minute, stop there. In other words, who is the one who directs people to look to pastors and to professors? Satan. Satan. <laughs> Whoa, it's the devil. Instead of looking to what? to the scriptures. Now notice the rest of the paragraph. Let's read that. Then, by controlling the minds of these leaders, he can influence the multitudes according to his will. Wow. Strong words. Strong words. In fact, I'm going to pause right here. I have a friend of mine who's a theologian, professor, well-known journalist, personal friend for 30 years, well-respected, but I know that some years ago, 
he came out with a, a, a very landmark article that caused quite a bit of consternation. I went and visited with him personally about it because, you know, when you have a problem, go to your brother, right? And I went to him and I went to talk to him about it. I'm trying to see if I can lay my finger on it right here. Uh, I might not pick it up right here. But I remember that article that he wrote. Uh, the article was simply called In Defense of Rahab. Did you hear that? In Defense of Rahab. Now, I'm going to show you the article without showing you his name, if I can find it right here. And this uh, gentleman, theologian, scholar, wrote a very well thought out article suggesting, telling people that it is right to lie by following Rahab's example. There's the article, in defense of Rahab. See that? There it is. In our, oh, one of our magazines 10 years ago. Uh, and I went uh, to visit with him, and he took me out to lunch. He's a friend of mine, yes. And then in, at, as we talked together, I raised questions, and I, I said, what are you, why have you done this, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, listen, hey, so-and-so, I'm going to be writing an article countering it <laughs> and, and showing uh, the wrong of this. Because, think about this for a moment. Uh, let's go in the Bibles. We've got to go to Thus saith the Lord. We'll give you an example, and we'll go back to that sheet in a few minutes. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Because you see, this person has a powerful influence globally. He's well-known. He writes, I won't say any more than that. He is a prolific writer, well-known. And people read it and people follow him. He's a theologian. He's a scholar. And by the way, I, I, and this is true because I know there was a Seventh-day Adventist lady who I called on the phone. I was in Michigan then. I managed to track her down to California. Because she, I had written an article, and this lady had complained and said, Ron Dupre has, given me, has caused me much consternation. And so I called her up and I said, hello. And she said, hello, who are you? I said, I'm the guy who has caused you much consternation. She said, who are you? I said, I'm Ron Dupre who wrote the article. Because you see, this Adventist lady had said, listen carefully, the only people who can lie properly are born again, committed Seventh-day Adventists. Because they can make a clear distinction between good lies and bad lies. And she had this published in a magazine. I have the actual original letter and the publication letter. I said, and so I called her up. I said, sister so-and-so. By the way, has everybody written your name on here? Sister so-and-so, why did you say that? And you know what she said to me? Uh, but look at the Bible. Rahab lied. And Abraham lied to save life, right, for a good reason. These are good people. And I said, okay, okay. Then I said to her, sister, do you believe, and I'm asking you the same question, do you believe that when Jesus was on planet Earth, and if you agree, say amen, okay? But if you don't, be quiet. Do you agree that when Jesus was on planet Earth, he overcame sin by total reliance upon the Father? He didn't use divine power. He relied upon God. Do you, do you believe that? Okay, you agree. I said, now if Jesus was there in Rahab's situation, if Jesus was there and the, the Jericho police came to the door, would Jesus have lied? And you know what? There was silence on the other end of the phone. Silence. And I said, I waited. And then she said, oh, you know what? I never thought about that. Wow. 
a Seventh-day Adventist who doesn't think about Jesus for your example? Who was she using as her example? A pagan prostitute. Wow. Keep your questions for the question and answer time. Wow. I never thought about that. First Peter. Let's go to First Peter, chapter 2, verse 21. First Peter 2, verse 21. And then we'll go back to our sheet. And then at the end, we'll take uh, questions, comments, suggestions, helps, so forth. First Peter 2, verse 21. Notice the words written by inspiration. For to this you were called because Rahab suffered for us. Well, what is it? Who is it? Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow Abraham's steps. His steps. Ah, so here's the question. Who only is our model for morality? Christ. Jesus Christ. Now notice the next verse. And I believe by inspiration, God had Peter put the next verse in because so many times I find even amongst, shockingly, amongst pastors, they, don't, they say, oh, when it comes to telling the truth, you can fudge a little bit. I, I've been shocked. Yes, I did a questionnaire amongst pastors and pastors in training. And uh, so here's it. Look at verse 22. Who committed no sin... Now, I know the King James has an, a word there, nor was, what does the King James say? Guile. guile. What is guile in modern words? Deceit. deceit. Nor was deceit found in his mouth. Now, I believe that God intentionally highlighted that one. <laughs> there was no deceit in Jesus' mouth. Who is our example for always being truthful? What does the Bible say? Jesus says, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the what? The truth. Write that verse down. Jesus is the truth. He is our example. We must be truthful because He is truthful. It's always following Jesus. Are we together here? Amen. Always following Jesus. Not following Rahab. And, and the evidence is, by the way, from the internal evidence, Rahab knew nothing of God's Ten Commandments. Did you know that? If you read the story of Joshua carefully, she says, we've heard of how your God took you through the Red Sea. They'd heard of God's miraculous might. She says that. We've heard of how your God overcame the kings of Og and Bashan, God's military might. He, they'd heard of the first M, miracle. The second M, military. There's no evidence she'd heard of the third M, Mount Sinai. None whatsoever. Why? How do I know that? She was still a practicing prostitute. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> And that's one reason uh, the spies could go there. Strange men were frequently coming to her house. She was not a converted woman. We are not to follow Rahab. Okay, we are to follow whom? Jesus. Because remember John 8 verse 44. And maybe we should go there. John 8 44. We already gave you John 14 6. Many of you know it by heart. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Contrasted with Jesus being the, the way, the truth, and the life is John 8 verse 44. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Strong words here. Write down this verse. And by the way, I hope you're writing. I'm glad to see many of you writing down. I want you to go back and read it for yourselves. Be like those Bereans. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. They listened eagerly and then went home to check out whether these things were so. Okay? Please don't leave here and say, Dr. Dupre says, I would have failed in my duty. Okay? Go out of here saying, the Bible teaches. Amen. Go to the, chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Wow, strong words. I remember a student at Southern one day walking out of class. I was standing at the door, and she said, Ah, oh, Professor, I just got it. It all depends on who your, your father is. I looked at her, I said, What? She said, It all depends on who your father is. If you are of your father, the devil, you lie. If you have your father, God, you don't. It all depends on who your father is. Let's go back to the sheet of paper right now. Let's go back to the sheet of paper. That was a caution, folks. I was telling you, be careful. Don't simply follow the pastor or the professor. Okay? Listen eagerly and go home and check out whether these things are so. Remember that. Acts chapter 7, verse 11. Let's go down to the second last paragraph. Second last paragraph. And let's read that one together on the sheet. This is from Great Controversy, chapter 37, The Scriptures as a Safeguard. Ready? It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the scriptures what is truth and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. Now, in case you didn't catch it, there are three things there. It is the first duty to do what? Learn from the scriptures. Duty number one, learn from the scriptures. There it is. What's duty number two? Walk in the light. You're right. There's the second thing. You learn it, you do it. What's the third duty? Encourage others to follow your example. And there are three vital things there. You first learn it, you do it, then you encourage others to follow your example. You're not preaching. You're saying, follow my example. Ah, let's carry on. Let's read further. We should day by day, ready? We should day by day study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing Scripture with Scripture. With divine help, we are to form our opinions for ourselves as we are to answer for ourselves before God. Yes, you cannot say, I'm doing this because my pastor, my professor, we are to answer for ourselves. One more statement, the underlined one in the last paragraph. Let's read it with power. Ready? None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflicts. Wow. Do you get the point I'm making, folks? When I'm talking about ethics, I'm intentionally taking time right now to emphasize the very great importance of spending time in the Word. Now, if you have a piece of paper, I hope you have it, I'm going to give you the method of Jesus for studying the Bible, and then we'll look at one more aspect, and you'll give me a signal at 25 till. Okay, because we end at quarter till. So, seven steps. Did you know that Jesus used a specific method to interpret the scriptures? Few of us realize that I didn't know it myself. I was asked to teach uh, biblical exegesis or hermeneutics, big words for simply how should we properly interpret the Bible. And I found many books out there, some even written by Seventh Avenues, and I began to study and read them and so forth. And as I was reading, I found different people had good ideas, and some of them I said, wait a minute. And I went back one day and I was studying the Bible, and I went to Luke chapter 24, verse 27. That one verse, I'm going to give you now what I, what I sometimes take six hours to do. Are you ready? Ah, here we're going to go now at rocket speed. Warp speed, too slow. We're going to go 25 to 30,000 miles per hour because I want to share with you in the next five to ten minutes what I actually take six hours of lectures to do. Yes, I'm not joking. In fact, I have a whole book I wrote about it called Warriors of the Word, which I, which I use when I teach at Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism, AFCO. I actually use the book, a whole book. The first half deals with the things I'm going to share with you in the next five to ten minutes. 110 pages in five to ten minutes. Are you ready? In this verse, and you know the context of this verse, Jesus has been resurrected. 
He is now walking uh, on his way, leaving Jerusalem. He joins up with two of his disciples. One is named Cleopas. And uh, then verse 24, verse 24, that one verse has seven principles. Did you know that? Of the methodology of Jesus. I'm going to give you those seven principles, and I want to recommend that you do this in your Bible study. Ready? Let's read verse 24. Seven And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did you know there are seven principles in there? Dr. Dupre, you're imagining it. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's right there. Notice these seven incredible principles that come from the first thing. Ah, the first principle in Bible study is that, and I'll give you the concept, all Bible study must be, here it is, Christ-dependent. And then I'll show it to you in the text. I mean, every one of these points begins with a C. Write down number one, principle number one, Christ-dependent interpretation. Christ-dependent. All of our Bible study must depend upon, depend upon Him. How do I know? It says He expounded. They were depending upon Christ. He expounded. In fact, as they walked, they were discouraged. Remember that? And they said to this, they didn't know it was Jesus, they didn't recognize him, they said, don't you know about the things that have been happening? And they began to unburden themselves. The Bible says they shared with him their, uh, their hearts, okay? And it was he, verse 23, we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And, uh, and so they are discouraged, okay? And Jesus says, Jesus is the one who then speaks to them and he unfolds. By the way, sometimes we don't even realize we're talking to the Lord. They didn't realize it. They were appealing to Jesus without realizing it. And we've got to make sure we're always turning to God. Make sure that our study is always Christ-dependent. And it is Jesus who will show us how to interpret the Bible. Principle number two, chronological. Principle number two, chronological. When you study the Bible, I want to encourage you, challenge you, always study the Bible starting at the beginning with the issues. When you start at the beginning, it gives you a new perspective. If you study with somebody on the seven-day Sabbath, don't go to the Ten Commandments. What book is the Ten Commandments? Exodus. Where should you start? Genesis. Genesis. Why start in Genesis? It's creation. It shows that when God created, that's where the memorial was set up. Out of love for mankind, and then you go from there. Always start at the beginning. And the Bible says that, I'm reading from chapter 24, verse 27, and beginning at Moses. When it says beginning at Moses, what's it talking about? The first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. So Jesus interpreted the Bible chronologically. By the way, I've noticed that people who have some beliefs that cause problems with the Adventist church, they don't start there. They jump into Leviticus and they try to prove something from there. Be, be very careful. Make sure you start in Genesis and you go all the way through. So the second principle. Principle number one is what? Number one? Christ dependent. Number two? Chronological. Let's go to principle number three. And by the way, oh, principle number two really solves a problem. Here's a quick problem it solves. Many people have said, what do you do with David? David was a man of the gods and art. Okay, is that true? Yes. Number two, did David have many wives? Yes. yes. Number three, does God ever change his moral standards? No. Ah, if you add those three statements together, what do you get? Uh, David is a man of the gods and art. David had many wives. God never changes his moral standards. What do you get? Polygamy is okay. I have a friend of mine who wrote to me. He was my roommate. And he believes the Seventh-day Adventist Caucasian in the United States says, I believe that God has given me the gift of polygamy. Because if you add those three statements together, God never changes his moral standards, and we agree. David had many wives, and we agree. What do you do with David as a man of the God's own heart? Ah, principle number two comes into play. What is principle number two? Chronological. Chronological. 
Did you know that David was only called the man after God's own heart when he was a single saintly shepherd? Did you hear that? David was never called a man after God's own heart when he stained his character with his many crimes, which included adultery, murder, deception, polygamy. David had many crimes. He was never called a man after God's own heart. He was only called that when he was a what? Single saintly shepherd. When you read the Bible chronologically, it solves the problem. <laughs> because you see, sometimes people get a moniker or a name. It stays with them for life. David was called that when he was a single saintly guy. By the way, Rahab, when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, guess what? It, in Hebrews 11, they refer to Rahab as Rahab the what? Rahab the harlot. But she's in the hall of faith. Was she still a harlot in Hebrews 11? No. No. She obviously gave up her practice of prostitution. But she is still called that. Sometimes you get a bad name, it stays with you for life. Sometimes you get a good reputation, it might stay with you even though you become a bad person. Same thing with David. You've got to read the Bible chronologically. It solves the problem. David was not a man after God's own heart when he took on more than one wife. Biblically, it's so, and it has been corroborated from outside of the Bible by Ellen White. Spiritual Gifts, Volume 3, um, Volume 4, a, page 86, 87. She says categorically, David was no longer a man of the gods and art. Spiritual Gifts, Volume 4, a, page 86, 87. David was no longer a man of the gods and art when he stained his life with polygamy, adultery, <coughs> and murder. Very clear. And she's right, biblically. So you must study the Bible chronologically to make proper moral decisions. Uh, incidentally, earlier on when I said uh, a quote, if you wrote down the quote uh, in the previous session, the second quote where I said page 391. Anybody wrote that quote down? It was uh, Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 391. Just to correct the thing, I made a mistake earlier on. It was Selected Messages, Volume 1 for the first few pages, 205, 206, and then Selected Messages, Volume 2 for page 391. Let's go to principle number three, careful. We must be careful students of Scripture, careful interpretation. So number one is Christ-dependent. Number two is chronological. What is number three? Careful, and I want to challenge you to be careful students of Scripture. There's a huge debate that's happening still in the Seventh-day Adventist uh, Church on the issue, for example, of how to treat the unborn. Okay, and I've taken different positions on that, yes. Remember at the beginning I showed you this thing about preconceived notions, be careful, be willing to give up your ideas. I've changed my view on the issue of abortion because I have to go back to the Bible and see what does the Bible teach. Okay? And so I've gone back and looked at the scriptures, careful study. In fact, I spent 300 hours on one verse, reading, studying one verse. I almost did my doctoral dissertation on that one verse. Careful, deep study. And that verse, by the way, is actually, if you want to know where it is, it's in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. Uh, that's a very key verse. Now, that's not the only verse. There are many other Bible verses, but that's a key verse. And unfortunately, the King James mistranslates that verse. It's the only place where they mistranslate the word, uh, come up with the word fruit. It's not from the Hebrew. It's a mistranslation of the word. You go back to the original, it's not there. They made a mistake. The King James translators made a mistake there. That's why I prefer the New King James and uh, some of the modern translations. They are correct. And it actually shows, that is a key pivotal verse. It actually shows that God grants the unborn full human rights as though it's a full living being. Fascinating. 
serious. So I've had to change my view from careful, deep study of the word. I have more on that if you're interested. I'm busy collecting essays from different Adventist theologians. Dr. Niels Eric Andreasen, president of Andrews University, wrote an entire uh, study. And he is contributing that, has given me that, to put into my compilation. Uh, Dr. Miroslav Kish, he's given me permission. I'm getting chapters from different scholars. And you know what's interesting? All Adventist scholars, Bible scholars, theologians, who have gone and studied the issue of polygamy, I mean, sorry, of abortion, from a biblical perspective, all agree. All biblical students agree. It's amazing. It's a unanimity of agreement when they go back to the Bible. When they go to sociology, when they go to legal issues, when they go to uh, all kinds of other things, there's a lot of confusion. But when they go to the Bible, there's a unanimity. Fascinating. So I'm busy collecting those essays, and I'm hoping to put it together in a book called The Preborn and the Reborn. That's the, the title. So come along. There are some more seats. There's one right here, and there's one over there. OK? You might even find one to squeeze in over there. All right. So. The reborn and the preborn, we're working on that. But let's go to principle. What's principle number three? Okay, number one was what? Christ dependent. Number two? Chronological. Number three? Careful. Let's go to number four. And where do I get careful, by the way? Oh, we go to the verse. The verse says, he expounded to them. He explained to them. The word in the Greek is diermenuo. Hermeneutics, hermeneutics. Jesus hermeneutic to them. That's in the verse. He expounded dug deep, careful explanation of scripture going back to the Bible. So it's back in that verse. So we have a Jesus. He went from uh, starting at Moses, and he expounds a careful interpretation. Principle number four, comprehensive, comprehensive. Ah, that's the fourth important principle. How do I know that? Because it says he expounded to them in some of the scripture. What does your Bible say? In all. Yes, from beginning through end, he went through all. Oh, now this is going to touch, uh, step on a few toes here maybe, but you came to be, you have your toes stepped on, didn't you? <laughs> uh, I'll do it gently. I'll do it gently. There has been quite a debate amongst Adventists especially and Christians as to what is the right interpretation of the Sixth Commandment. What is the Sixth Commandment? Thou shalt not kill. Now, thou shalt not kill. What is the other modern translation? Murder. Thou shalt not murder. Now, if I didn't, want, if I, if I didn't mind some, con, if, well, uh, let me not even try, go there. I was going to say, how many say it should be killed? How many say it should be murder? <laughs> ah, fascinating. There's a huge debate with, well, let's just see, uh, because, you know, you'll forget uh, who said what. How many of you think it should be kill? Raise your hands. See, that's the right translation. Don't be afraid. I don't want any fence-sitters here. Come on. Anybody? Kill. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. How many think it should be murder? How many don't know? And there were a few hands that didn't go up. It was clearly an uh, overwhelming majority. Title of a book. You shall not kill or you shall not murder. An entire book on that question. Fascinating. Do you want to know the answer? No. no. <laughs> you know what? And, and for about 20 years now, I've been digging into that myself. This fascinating study was written by a, a woman scholar. You know what she's found out? Without question, 
with no debate. The language in the Hebrew has not changed. There's no different manuscript evidence whatsoever. No question. It's not a question about the manuscript. There's no question about the language. Guess what? Guess when the change came from kill to do not murder? Modern translations, but when? After, after the Second World War. She has proven with historical evidence, with linguistic exegetical evidence, that the translators changed it to do not murder in order to give permission for people to go and kill in war. It's a sociological phenomenon. How did I find out about this book? The General Conference Biblical Research Institute Associate Director, Dr. Gerhard Fondel, sent out to all pastors, this is what they sent out, telling people, be careful of sociological interpretations of the Bible. And he mentioned this book and advertised it. I went and got a copy for, for, of it immediately uh, on Amazon.com. I've read it through, and it corroborates the study that was done 20 or more years by Dr. Gerhard Hazel. How many of you have heard or know of Dr. Gerhard Hazel? Yeah, he did a study 20, 30 years ago. I went and studied what Dr. Hazel said, and this lady has shown the right translation is not do not murder. There's no justification to translate it as do not murder whatsoever. No linguistic evidence. The correct translation is what the King James has. Thou shalt not what? Kill. Kill. And I'm not going to talk about the implications of that. That is the right translation. That's, so we're here, so you've got to go back and study comprehensively. If you study the whole Bible comprehensively, that word there that's in the sixth commandment is used of the man who is in Deuteronomy who's chopping wood. Remember that story? And the ax flies off and it kills someone. That's the word that's in the Ten Commandments. And it says he didn't mean to kill him. Is that accidental or intentional? Accidental. That's the word that's in the Ten Commandments. The word of the exit that flies off accidentally, and it says he did it without malice in his heart. And that's the way the word is used the majority of the time. And so this lady, Wilma Bailey, is right. And uh, ten, of, 10 out of our view, uh, don't be proud, you guessed right. <laughs> did you know the book? Yeah, he's a, he's a medical doctor. But, uh, but the point is, folks, we must, that's why we must dig deep. We must study comprehensively. And then we said, now what do we do? Two pastors, friends of mine, wrote this book. Have you seen it? I Pledge Allegiance. Anybody seen this? OK. OK. And so in this, there's a chapter in this, on this, thou shall not kill, thou shall not murder. Uh, here's a book I would recommend you get. Uh, you can get it through Remnant. It deals with the whole issue of military, and there's a chapter on Thou Shall Not Kill. I don't get any royalties from this whatsoever, even though I have a chapter in there that I donated to them, okay? On Thou Shall Not Kill, Thou Shall Not Murder. And after that was published, this book, I found out about this book, which corroborates that. Be careful, folks. We've got to dig deep. We've got to study all of Scripture. Principle number four is what? Comprehensive. Let's go to number five. Principle number five, canonical. Canonical? What do you mean, Pastor? Canonical. C-A-N-O-N. Write this down. This is the only C word I could find here. Maybe somebody can come up with a better one. Canonical. C-A-N-O-N-I-C-A-L. Canonical. That's, I give you a little nice uh, uh, scholar's word. The, when, the, when the scholars speak about the canon, they mean the, the, the scriptures. The C-A-N-O-N, not the C-A-N-N-O-N, but the canon is the Bible. It's the Bible. Because you see it says, the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures. 
Now, why is this important? Think about this. When Jesus was walking with those two men on the way, or maybe it was a man and a woman. It just says Cleopas and his friend. <laughs> okay. When he was walking with his, when he met them, and they said, we thought that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What could Jesus have done immediately to prove to them that he was the crucified, risen Savior? What could he have done? He could have shown his hands. That's number one. Physical evidence. What else could he have done? If they said, ah, you're faking it. What could he have done? Well, there's no question. A miracle. a miracle. That's right. He could have performed a miracle and said, okay, you guys are on your way home? Hungry? Yes. Let's get there. <laughs> the Spirit did it later on with, with Philip. Remember that? He could have done it. He could have done miraculous evidence. He could have done physical evidence. Did Jesus do that to prove he was the Messiah? What did he do? The scriptures. That's why I say canonical. Be careful of the miraculous. Be careful of what you think you see. Don't go with physical evidence. Don't go with miraculous evidence. Go only with written evidence. Beginning at Moses and all the scriptures. That's why canonical is so important. Principle number five. So when people are bringing you these difficult issues, what should you do in this dilemma? What should you do in that dilemma? The whole issue of gay marriage. Now, the civil authority decides what they want to do. What are we going to do in the church? Where do we go? Scriptures. Now, now, why do I say that? I have a friend of mine. He is a, an ethicist, a guy who teaches ethics. He's been an ethicist for close to 30 years, maybe. He's in a high position. I won't mention his name, but he's a friend of mine. In 1985 already, he published an essay in Spectrum magazine, Public Knowledge, recommending that the Seventh-day Adventist Church should welcome people who are practicing homosexuals, allowing them to continue practicing homosexuality on on condition that they are faithful to their partner. Monogamous homosexuality. And he is still a teacher in one of our schools. And he's, he promoted that back in 1985, and he's still promoting that idea. But how did he come to that conclusion? How did he come there? That's the key point I'm making. How did he come to that conclusion? He studied sociology. They had done a study of different groups of homosexuals in San Francisco, and they had different groups. They found that there's a so-called promiscuous homosexual who sleeps around. Then there's the one who has a partner, but every now and then he, he strays away. And then there's a the group who's faithful to their partner. And they looked at the three or four groups, and they said, the one that is most fulfilled, most happy, has the most meaningful life, is the one who is faithful to his partner or her partner. Therefore... If somebody believes they cannot change, we should welcome them with open arms. Based upon what? The Bible? No. So let's go to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? Here's a passage on hope. Uh, we were talking about this issue. We don't want to just talk in a vacuum. We want to go to the canonical evidence, the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians. I love this passage. And I'm just mentioning it briefly here. Um, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. I'm going to give you some hope here, and I'm going to show you some scientific evidence as well as uh, at, at the same time. Okay. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 6 since we're talking about this. And by the way, I do actually have uh, uh, some people, acquaintances, friends, who are or have had this struggle. One of my former students from Southern, um, and uh, he has had a transformation in his life. Radical transformation. I prayed for him. I tried to call him for years. He wouldn't answer his phone. He would never reply until the Lord changed his heart. Then he wrote to me. Fantastic email. I still have to this day. I saw it this morning. He said, uh, Dr. Dupre, thank you for not giving up on me. Um, God has transformed my life. He was no longer living with his husband. 
Uh, yes. Here's the good news. Let's go to that verse. Chapter 6. Um, um, sorry. Verse, um, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now notice by inspiration what Paul does. He puts all of these together. Neither fornicators, sex before marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, some Bibles say male prostitutes and then homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous. Wow, all in the same breath. Did you notice that? From the external to the internal, all put together, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. God makes no difference between the covetous or the gay. Did you notice that? We do. God doesn't. That's why I like the Bible. The Bible is very fair. The Bible puts us all together. We're all sinners. We agree? Yeah. Now let's read the rest. Here's the good news. Uh, that's why I love the next verse. And such were some of you. Ah, past tense. What does that mean? In the church in Corinth, some of the members were adulterers. They had been. Some of the members were homosexuals. They had been. In other words, this is a lie of psychology and false science. Once a homosexual, always a homosexual. That's not true. That's not true. And I'll give you scientific evidence in a minute from Harvard University nonetheless. We'll get to that. But let's first get the, the most important groundwork, the Bible. Okay? Then we'll go to the secondary source uh, which confirms the Bible. Such were some of you. How could Paul say that? Because you were washed. Symbol of baptism, but you were sanctified, made holy. You were justified, forgiven in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What do you say? Amen. It's right. That's exciting news. I love this passage. In other words, God can transform anybody. Listen to Dr. John Ratey, R-A-T-E-Y. Modern book, published in 2002, this century, this millennium. Dr. John Ratey in his book, A User's Guide to the Brain. By the way, you can get this section free if you simply go online to the Library of Congress, LOC, you know, go there. Um, and John Ratey, R-A-T-E-Y, A User's Guide to the Brain. Now you've got to scroll all the way down to the section dealing with nature or nurture. That's this. Otherwise, it took me a while. You got onto nature or nurture and listen to what Dr. John Rady, neuropsychiatrist at Harvard University says. <sighs> genes. Are you listening? You've heard of this. Oh, it's the genes. It's the genetic issue, homosexuality. Genes do not make a man gay or violent or fat, or a leader. Next sentence, five, four words. Genes merely make proteins. Am I correct, scientists out there? Yes. Let me read further. The chemical effect of these proteins may make a man's brain and body more receptive to certain environmental influences, but the extent of those influences will have as much to do with the outcome as the genes themselves. Furthermore, now he sounds like Ellen White, couldn't believe this. I said, wow, <laughs> listen to this. Furthermore, we humans are not prisoners of our genes or our environment. He continues, four words, listen to this. He sounds not like Paul in the Bible. We have free will. You believe that? 
Genes, now listen to the rest. Genes, this, I'm, I'm not taking any sentences out, reading further. Genes are overruled every time an angry man restrains his temper. A fat man diets. And an alcoholic refuses to take a drink. Wow, that's exciting. Okay, now we read what the Bible says. We've read what science has confirmed by this neuropsychiatrist through science, not false science. Now let's read what Ellen White says. Listen to this. This is from uh, Ellen White comments on 2 Corinthians. God makes no compromise with sin. A genuine conversion changes. Did you hear that? A genuine conversion changes hereditary and cultivated tendencies to wrong. Yes. This, by the way, is SDA Bible Commentary. SDA Bible Commentary, you know the Ellen White comments? Her comments on that passage uh, on, on 2 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, by the way. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where she makes that comment in the SDA Bible Commentary. Or if you want a, an easier source, how about the Desire of Ages? DA, 671. Desire of Ages, page 671. Here it is, very clear. And Pastor Doug's message last night, you can relate to this. Christ has given His Spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil. There it is. So people say, oh, my genetic makeup. Well, thank God for His Spirit. <laughs> okay, so there is the solution right there. Uh, Desire of Ages confirms all of that. And let's go to, so what are the five principles so far? Number one, Christ dependent. Number two, chronological. Number three, careful. Number four, comprehensive. Number five, canonical. Number six is contextual. And we're going to go over a few minutes here, but we'll be done soon. Number six, contextual. Very important. When, and where do I get that? Contextual. Uh, back to Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Contextual. I'm, by the way, I'm giving you a lesson on how to study the Bible, because when people get into the Bible, they get confused and they, they misinterpret things. I, I believe Jesus' method is the best method to use, especially when you have to make decisions in life, difficult ones or easy ones. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, notice, the things concerning. In other words, the context is very important. When you study the Bible, see if the context supports it. Don't take a piece of a verse out of here and there. One classic example, and, and uh, you know, we've been blessed by many wonderful uh, evangelists and pastors, but I found out that pastors, and, and I've, I've been a pastor for years, and when I've preached, I've done the same thing. I take a piece of a verse out because it fits what I want. But when you look at the context, it's not there. A classic example is Leviticus 23, verse 32. I've seen an evangelist put that up. When should we keep the Sabbath? And they quote the last part of the verse. And from even unto even shall you keep your Sabbath. Have you heard that one? Yes. Guess what? It's not talking about the Sabbath. Did you know that? The first part of the verse says, and from the, the evening of the ninth day until the tenth day, you shall celebrate what? The ninth day, the tenth day, the day of? Atonements. It's not talking about the Sabbath. It's talking about keeping the Day of Atonement. What have we done? We've taken a piece of the verse out of context to support, by the way, there are, there are better verses to use when you should keep, when the Sabbath begins from the evening unto evening. But be careful of taking a piece out here, a piece out there, then people accuse us of what's called proof texting. Make sure we have contextual Bible studies so that we don't misinterpret the scriptures. And I'm guilty also as charged. <laughs> I was also preaching, and I found out as I went back, I, said, oh, I, I did this wrong. I wasn't using the Bible properly. Make sure that the context supports the actual passage. And Jesus did that. The things concerning, the final thing, himself. 
Christ-centered. The last point, number seven, all our Bible study must be Christ-centered. The things concerning Himself. It's Christ-centered. So it starts with Christ-dependent and it ends with Christ-centered. Seven important principles that come from this one verse so that when you're studying your Bible, you must make sure, especially in ethics. Remember I told you about this lady that I said to her, Sister, what would Jesus have done if he were in Rahab's place? I didn't think about Jesus, she said. But the moment she thought about Jesus, she said, he would not have lied. There was the solution. Make sure our Bible study is always Christ-centered. Always. What are the seven steps? Let's run through them quickly. Number one, Christ-dependent. Number two, chronological. Number three, careful. Number four, comprehensive. Number five, canonical. Number six, contextual. Number seven, Christ-centered. You know what's fascinating, folks, and scary? Willow Creek Community Church. How many of you have heard of Willow Creek Community Church, Pastor Bill Hybels? I think about everybody. The one in Chicago, they recently rebuilt, they built a new sanctuary, cost $72 million. $72 million? Yes, it seats 7,200 people. You figure out what that costs per person. It's like $10,000 a seat works out to be, I think, I'm not sure. But uh, something like that. $72 million. And guess what? They then did a study of the last 30 years of their church. Yes, amazing. Willow Creek repents. Headline, Willow Creek repents. Yes, Pastor Bill Hybels said, let's do a study of the members and see what's happened. How have they grown? Have they actually been helping people to, actually helping people to mature spiritually and which were not? Hybels says, the findings, the findings were earth-shaking, groundbreaking, mind-blowing. We, I'm quoting Bill Hybels, four words, we made a mistake. 30 years. What was the mistake? Listen to what he says. We should have, I'm quoting, taught people, here's the quote, taught people how to read their Bibles between service and how to do the spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. They had failed to teach people to read and study the Word of God. After 30 years, we made a mistake. Why am I emphasizing that? I'm challenging you. If we want to make proper decisions in life, proper moral decisions, and by the way, after, the, after lunch, I'm going to go through these. I'm going to bring you the results of what you said is the right thing to do. And uh, we will see how your questions came up, all right? What is the right thing to do? And we will look at that and get an idea of how and what you believe is the right thing. That will come right after lunch. But you know what's funny? i got to tell you this. It happened in Tokyo just last month. Uh, Yosuke got lost. And Yosuke was lost and missing for two weeks. I've got a picture of Yosuke here. Yosuke was found. And how did they get him back? Yosuke knew his address and could tell the policeman what his address was. But guess what? Yosuke, and I got a picture, is an African gray parrot. <laughs> the parrot was lost for two weeks in Japan. And when the policeman spoke to him, by the way, he wouldn't answer the policeman. He didn't have a good relationship with the policeman. But when, he, when, when a veterinarian he must have realized the vet was there to help. And he thought the police was there, the police was there to, you know, perhaps lay the law down. Notice. Uh, <laughs> but he wouldn't tell the policeman. It's an interesting, funny story. But when the veterinarian asked him, he retold the vet what his address was. He re repeated his address. 
fascinating story. And he, when he told them his address, they had been teaching the parrot his address for a while in case he got lost. And when they found him, sure enough, he could parrot back his address, and they returned the parrot to its owner. Incredible story. You know what, folks? We are much more than parrots. By God's grace, I hope that you and I will know the word so thoroughly in our hearts, so thoroughly from our study of the Bible that we will not just parrot it, but we will do it because we love God, because we trust Him. So spend your time in the Word. Now, in, after lunch, I'll let you know what, what we're going to do after lunch so that you come back. After lunch, we're going to deal with huge issues, moral dilemmas, those, 20, those 12 questions. How do you answer it? And I'm going to give you, after lunch, the solution to those answers, biblical, as well as the solution to any moral dilemmas you'll ever face in life. How do I know it? I taught a Sabbath school lesson one day, and there was a visitor in class, and I said, now next week we'll continue. And the visitor said, I, I can't, I won't be here next week. I, I, I can't, I can't be here. I said, he said, please, please, let's not go to church. Can you please help me now? Because I'm right now on the edge wanting to know. And I spent 20, 30 minutes with a guy in the preliminaries, as we sometimes call them. And when we were done, he looked at me and said, thank you. Oh, it's like a huge weight off my shoulders. This is wonderful news. Come back at the lunch, and I believe it will be an answer to some of your prayers. <laughs> we'll see you then. God bless you.